0: Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by steadfastness and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Whatever was written, talking about the Scriptures, what's there in the Word of God, fills us with hope, for it points us to Jesus in whom all of God's promises are fulfilled. Spoken often of the Christian hope and that reminder that Our hope is not, as the world so often uses the word, it's not a wistful thing, it's not what we think might be nice, what we wish might happen. But when we talk about the Christian hope, it's the hope that is in God, who has given His promise, has given His word, and He is trustworthy and true. We hope, not because it's doubtful whether or not these things will come to pass, but because we're not there yet, we haven't seen the fullness of them. But all of our hope is in Christ Jesus and what He has promised, He will fulfill. Always been struck in the whole business of looking back into the Scriptures by what happens when the Lord is risen from the dead and gets back with His disciples. and He takes that time of opening to them the Scriptures opening to them they're opening their understanding to that word of god and we're told that he went through beginning with moses and the prophets and the psalms he revealed how all of these things point to him he is the fulfillment of all god's word he is god's eternal word but the reminder again when we hear about him going through moses that in the context moses refers to the books of Moses, the first five books of Scripture, the Pentateuch, the Torah. When we hear about the prophets, we're not thinking just about the prophets that we know, so from Isaiah onwards, but it was understood in the Hebrew reckoning that it included some of the history books as well from Joshua, Judges, through the Kings and, and the, the books of Samuel, The historic books that set the context for the teaching and the words of the prophets. And therefore, when Jesus pointed back, he was pointing back to really pretty much all that we think of as the Old Testament, which sometimes Christians have to be reminded of when we think about our scripture. There are always those who think that the New Testament is the Christian book and the Old Testament is the one for the Jews. But the first Christians, when they talk about Scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament. When Jesus speaks about God's Word and what's been revealed, He actually says that it's all there. God has said what He needs to say. He comes to be the fulfillment of that Word, but God has revealed His Gospel, has spoken to His people, has given them what they need to come into that Saving relationship with Him. Think about that parable of the rich man and Lazarus that should be in our heads again. It's not that long since we talked about it, but I I put in the reflection in last month's Annunciator. So if you read that, it should be fresh again. But where Jesus is dealing with the man who's concerned about his five brothers, who might end up where he's ended up. Well, could you send Lazarus to speak to them? No, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, 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 if someone were to come from the dead, then they would believe. If they do not listen, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not listen. They will not hear should one be raised from the dead. But the understanding is, as Jesus addresses the scribes and the Pharisees, all of God's promises are there. All of the things that point to the Christ are there. If you've attended to them, you will receive me. And God will do that work in your lives. We have in our our first lesson today those words from Isaiah, which are pretty good way of looking back into what the foundation is there in the Scripture. It's that vision of the Messiah, but the Messiah grows up as the, the shoot that comes out of the stump. Now, when a shoot first appears above the ground of the plant that is growing, you know that already the roots have been sunk down. There's been a lot of growing going on under the surface. It's a little bit like when the baby is born. Of course, if you're around the mother as the baby is growing inside, you know full well that the child is there all that time. We celebrate the birth, but that life has been growing long before it becomes visible to us. And even as we see the visible presence in the mother, still, still, there's been growth through the long weeks before that. The preparation of the child, the growing within. And so the shoot That comes out, that comes out of the stump. I've often set Isaiah 11 in the context of Isaiah 6, where the prophet has his call, where he's to speak God's word and is told that it will be a, well, an unfruitful word in the lives of those to whom he speaks, because they'll stop up their ears, they'll harden their hearts, they'll, they'll shut their eyes against it. And he's got the frustration of, well, how long? How long, Lord, will it be resisted that way? How long do I need to keep preaching? And he's told that it's till cities are laid waste, until really all the outer glory is gone, all of the things that his people are trusting in that are not of him, all the things that they've grown up in this world. There will be a time of real humbling. And he says it will be like when a tree is cut down, a great oak or terebinth, leaving only its, it depends on your translation, its substance, its, its trunk, its stump in the ground. But then the last word of that passage is the holy seed is its stump. And the reminder that though it may not look like much above the surface, that there's life yet in the roots, and there's a liveliness, and there is new growth that will come. And so I always think about that when I think about, I come to Isaiah 11, I think about the shoot growing up out of that stump of what has been cut down. Another time I can go back to the there are different words that are used for the substance and stump in the Hebrew, but the image is comparable in the two. But the shoot that grows up that clearly in Isaiah 11 is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He has that anointing of the Spirit for the ministry to which he's called, the establishment of the kingdom But intriguing in the picture is that word that the the shoot that's coming up is not coming out of the the stem of David. When we think of the Messiah, we think about the son of David. We think about that promised king of David's line. When the Messiah is raised up, it will be David raised up to rule over God's people, the one with the heart after the heart of the Lord. It will be that shepherd king. It'll be that priestly king. It'll be that one of David's line. But in this vision, we hear about that which is the stump of Jesse. It's the root of Jesse. Well, who's Jesse? Jesse's the father of David. So this is a promise that goes back further than David, deeper than David. We could trace that line. You know, Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And the whole story of Ruth, thats always worth going back to revisit. uh, The redemptive love that is at work in that. But God's promise is being fulfilled. But right back to Abraham. Abraham is the father of Israel, of God's people. But deeper than Abraham. Because Abraham comes into promises of God. Comes into the faithfulness of the Lord. Comes into God's eternal plan we go right back into the garden. We go back to where we hear what we call often the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium, or Evangelium, if you like. Genesis 3.15, the curse on the serpent, but it's the promise to the woman, to the man, of the seed of the woman who will be raised up to crush the head of the serpent's seed. Depending on your translation, you may, might be used to reading about the offspring of the woman. But the Hebrew word there, zera, is, is literally the seed, and it's worth holding on to for different reasons. But particularly in this context, there's the seed of God's promise. The seed has to be sown. And even if you think about what's going on at that point, we have the fall of the human race, we have the word that they are going to crumble into dust. They're mortal now. And the image is of the return to the dust. Well, into the midst of that dust will be planted that seed of God's promise. And we watch the seed growing up. Now all that work that has been done through the ages, now in the vision of the Messiah, the shoot grows up from that stump and out of those roots, is growing up, into the blossom, into flower, into its fruition, the promise that is in Jesus. But when Christ comes Himself, He comes to be the One who is the growing up of the the plant in this life, producing the fruit that will come to maturity. And in that wonderful paradoxical language of the Gospel, Jesus will describe the point of the mature fruit as being Calvary and the point of his crucifixion. Remember his words, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's actually at the place that in worldly terms we're looking and thinking of the humiliation and the barrenness. Of the cross, I mean, from a worldly standpoint, all life is stripped away. There's nothing to celebrate there. All the light, all the hope is gone, and yet the Lord will talk about being glorified in that. It's there that the that fruit reaches its full maturity and it's ready to produce the further fruit, the abundance that will come in the Gospel reading we had, St. John the Baptist speaks about the coming of the One who comes after Him, who is going to bring this fruitfulness into their lives. He says, I'm just baptizing you with water. It's a sign of repentance. It's a preparation for what God is going to do, but it's a sign. It's, it's a washing off. It's just water. There's a turning of the heart, but it's all I can do. Is wash you outwardly, give you that sign of God, but the one who is coming after me, he's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this whole business of baptism and one who baptizes, you know, ones, those who are anointed through the Old Testament are anointed for a particular purpose. There's a sense of the marking with the Spirit. There's an outpouring of the Spirit that is given for whatever they're to do. But now we have the One who is so filled with the Spirit that He can pour it out upon others, that He can literally baptize them within. And I often want to come back in our thinking about Christian baptism to the reminder that baptism is never to be just that outward washing. It's not just a sign. It's our incorporation into Christ. When we think about baptism, we shouldn't be thinking about just water poured over the head or even being dunked in the water, fully immersed. We ought to be thinking about drowning in that water. We ought to think about that water getting inside as well as out, which is not... If any of you are worried, I'm not starting a new practice that we're going to drown uh, (laughs) baptismal candidates in case... There's anyone who was gearing up for baptism and is now intimidated, but I'm not ready for the raising of the dead. I don't have quite that confidence. But but still, our baptism is to be that dying to the old life, even to the way of breathing, even to the whole way of living, and being raised up into the new life in Christ. And it, the baptism in His Spirit is to be that thorough as well, inside and out, refreshing, renewing, giving us a whole new orientation in our lives. Interesting, though, that John goes on in his image, not just to talk about a baptism that way, but he uses the language of the Spirit and fire and brings it into the threshing image. And I've been thinking about that in judgment and thinking about some of what's happening in all of that, but it it dawned on me as I was just reflecting a little further that, of course, that too is the image of the full maturity of the fruit because it's the harvest image. The threshing comes at the harvest when things are full and ripe and ready to be gathered in. It's bound up with the things of worship. We've recently picked up Malachi's image of the the refiner's fire that is coming. And I noted that while it refines us, it's first focused on refining the sons of Levi. It's to refine them that they might lead the people in offering true worship. And it's worth thinking just as you go back through Scripture and open up the meditation that back in 2 Samuel 24, There's a plague that comes on the people. David's called a census. And in that, he's turning away from the Lord and sinning, and there's consequences. The consequence that comes is a plague on the people. The plague is ravaging the multitudes, but it's brought to a stop. The angel stops. It's at the threshing floor of Aruna or Ornan, depending on the translation and the form, but the Jebusite, it will be the spot where years later, Solomon will begin the building of the temple of God. The whole threshing image is bound up with the preparation for worship and God's people being prepared for what he's to do. But the threshing image, again, in that point in the world, we've got the the threshing floor that's opened up you get set up on a usually on a higher place that's open to a lot of windiness you can cover over the area so that the rain doesn't fall on it but while you might block off the sides you leave the ends open because the wind has to be able to blow through the the wheat has been cut or whatever the grain is it's been dried it's thrashed, it's threshed out. Threshing and thrashing are of that same root. So it's the beating out in order to separate the husk and the stems and things from the good grain. But then out on the threshing floor, there's the winnowing fork or the winnowing fan that is mentioned here that is stuck into it so it's lifted up into the wind and the wind blows through and carries the chaff off and it can be gathered and burned, but the heavier grain drops to the ground and is easily separated out. And we're back into that, that lovely linguistic bet of the word for wind and spirit in the Hebrew, likewise in the Greek being the same. So ruach in the Hebrew. There are many times when the wind of God blows. When you picture the Spirit of God moving over the waters at the beginning of creation... The image that doubtless comes to mind is of that that wind moving. The pneuma, wind and spirit. In the New Testament, Jesus will use the play on those words when He talks to Nicodemus about the ways of the wind and the ways of the Spirit. The wind of that Holy Spirit who blows through to separate the chaff from the good grain. A time of judgment where the fire will do that refining, will burn up the chaff, always though with the reminder that this is fulfillment of the promises of God. And God's desire is not the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked might turn from their wickedness and live. His desire for us is not that we fall under that judgment and be swept away in it, but that we turn to Him that we allow that shaking in our lives, that we have real repentance, that we let that wind of His Spirit first blow to do the shaking, to do the separation of us from our sins. There's that wonderful picture in Hebrews 12 about about the great shaking the Lord will bring where His language is that, that everything in heaven and on earth would be shaken, that only that which cannot be shaken might remain. But then, the blowing through with the Spirit that refreshes, that renews, that baptizes us, that reorients us, that makes us ready for the kingdom, that opens us up to the fullness of life that is ours in Jesus Christ. The seed that is planted there in His Word is intended to grow into that full fruit into that full flower into that full maturity in Jesus Christ and it does it's to grow in us you know that seed of his word that is to be well received and to grow up into that abundant lasting fruit forty sixty and hundredfold jesus is the anointed one anointed of the spirit that One who comes to bring that life and the fulfillment of God's promises. He comes to make us the little anointed ones, like Himself, sharing in that same life. We become, He's the Christ, we become the Christians. He has given the promise in His Word, and as we move through this Advent season and reflect upon that Word, invite Him by His grace to prepare us to receive in fullness the Word incarnate, pray for the grace that we might be shaken free of our sins, that the things that are not of Him would be burned up, that we would be filled with His new life, that we would be renewed in His Spirit, that we would know the full hope that is ours in His Word, in the Scripture, in Jesus Christ. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope.